Well, hello with Gratitude Matt listeners. My name is Matt Moran, and I am your host for the show. Before we introduce you to our guest today, I thought it was important to highlight some of the goals and objectives that I have for the show. Some of my audience knows that I've been in the middle of my own cancer recovery journey. My wife Mary and I have been the benefactors of so much love and support from the community, and we're so grateful for everybody that has supported us. Thank you to all. That being said, I feel called to give back in a more meaningful way. I started my blog, GratitudeMatt.com, about 14 months ago. The podcast with Gratitude Matt is an opportunity to reach a larger audience. With Gratitude Matt is a show that will bring inspiration to the next person faced with their own personal adversity. It certainly could be cancer, but is not limited to cancer. It could be abuse, addiction, depression, or loss of a family member. With Gratitude Matt is a place that you can come to to find the courage to be grateful, regardless of how powerful the storm is. So if today's show inspires you in some way, shape, or form, please subscribe to it, comment on it, and share it with others. Today's show is the very first episode, and I am so excited to kick things off with today's guest, Dr. Roy Vantama. I wanted Dr. Roy Vantama to be our first guest of the show because of the impact that he's had on my recovery journey over the last 18 months. I'm a big believer that nothing in life happens by accident. Just after learning my cancer had reared its head again, my friend Greg reached out to me to let me know he had a close friend that is a radiation oncologist and was just wrapping up his book, Healing Before You're Cured. Greg had asked if I would be interested in connecting with Dr. Roy. I am so grateful that I accepted that offer. I owe it to Dr. Roy Vantama for getting me mentally prepared for the journey that I'm on today. After connecting with Dr. Roy Vantama, I learned that my wife Mary had actually known Roy from growing up in Orchard Park together. In fact, she even coached Roy a couple of summers in tennis. The entire Moran family would like to thank Dr. Roy Fantama for everything that he's done for us over the last 18 months. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to our friend, Dr. Roy Fantama. Welcome to the show, Roy. Yeah, happy to be here and happy to be of service and thank you. Well, you know, one of the things, I, I mentioned the book, Healing Before You're Cured, but before we get to that, Roy, I thought for our listening audience, it might be relevant to talk a little bit about your background and, and where you grew up and how what type of family you grew up in, because I think that might bring some context to some of the work that you've done on healing before you're cured. Sure. Uh, you know, I grew up, um, you know, I'm Thai American and I grew up in Orchard Park and we were one of the only families that was a minority. So um, Buffalo is kind of a blue collar sort of experience. And that really shaped me because I, I had a quite a bit of prejudice um, against me, even though my family, I come from a family of physicians. My parents are both doctors and we're well off in that way. But in other ways, I, I had kind of a, a different experience because of because of that that prejudice. But it, it shaped me a lot because I had this ability to do basically anything that, that money would allow us to do. I had, you know, went to private Catholic school and got to have lessons in every sport I ever wanted to play and piano lessons. And I had all that. And I also, on the other side, though, had this other experience that definitely made me wonder, you know, what what was going on? Because I had all these things on the outside, but on the inside, I wasn't feeling so good. And 
going forward beyond that, uh, also I went to Catholic school and I also, um, my family's Buddhist. So there was another place of, uh, you know, that didn't seem things were exactly fitting in that way as well. So that was the second thing. And then the third thing was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life growing up. You know, my dad told me, you know, you can do anything you want after you finish medical school. <laughs> so I had, uh, so that, but there wasn't, you know, it wasn't like there was any uh, conflict in that. It was just, that's what I was told. And so that's what I, that's what I knew I had to do. So all those things led me down this road where I was doing what everybody told me to do. And I, I what everybody told me that was best for me to do to have me be happy on the inside. And, and then in, in the end, when I finished all of the stuff that everybody told me to do, I still wasn't happy. So that took me down a different road where I really had to uh, figure out what I wanted to do. And I decided that I wanted to, I wanted to act, you know, so I wanted to, to become an actor. So I got a training spot in LA and that allowed me to, to pursue acting because the chairman of the department, he wanted to be an actor. And uh, when I told him that's why I wanted to come to UCLA, he was very excited about it because he felt like, you know, being a, of a creative mind would be help me in my research. And as long as I continued doing everything he asked of me, I could take all my vacation days to do training and in acting. So I, I did both at the same time. And I never really looked back after that. So I've been doing both that inner work through acting and through therapy and through meditation, um, which all got added on and then um, continued on my medical career as well. So I've been doing both. And now I'm back at UCLA working there and also coaching people and also producing and acting and kind of doing lots of different things. Well, Roy, you know, I took the opportunity to Google your name last night as I was just thinking about it. And I guess the the good news, bad news is being famous like you are, you show up in Wikipedia. And the one thing that you left out there is that you graduated from University of Pennsylvania, magna cum laude, mm. which I, I know that sometimes you get embarrassed about your academic accomplishments, but that's certainly a noteworthy school to not only graduate from, but graduate magna cum laude is certainly something to be proud of. All right. Well, well, then you can add it because I can't, I don't, you can't add things about yourself. So you can, you're going to have to add it for me if it's in there. Um, but my niece told me actually really funny. So I'm, I'm with my family. And my niece told me, she goes, I, I asked, uh, I asked Siri who you, who you were and she knew. So <laughs> on, she did it on the, uh, on an app. So that was kind of funny. And it is it, isn't it? So uh, we we got connected through our friend Greg, mm -hmm. isn't it? When you were doing some work in Philadelphia, that you actually met his brother-in-law, right? Yes. Uh, so yeah, exactly. So uh, Ramon Rivera, who's married to Greg's sister Lizette, I was doing internship with Ramon, and we went out one night, and then I, I at the end of the night, I saw them holding hands. So I said, <laughs> I said, if you're gonna hold hands with her, man. You better be a good guy. Don't, you know, take care of her. She's my, she's my, one of my best friends, little, little sister. So he said, oh, I will, I will. And so, you know, they're, now they're right next to you, right in Orchard Park. Well, Roy, you, you were so kind before. I think your book went live. Was it last February? Is that right? Yeah, March. Yeah. March of uh, March. 19. Uh, you sent me the, the PDF version of it, right? When we connected, I read it immediately and there were a lot of things in there. And I, I, the, the, the book, Healing Before You're Cured, does break down the four houses of health, which 
I'd like to talk a little bit about, but it's your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health, and your emotional health. I think for me, the, the thing that I've always worked out and always been into physical fitness, but what it really caused me to really think about is the mental side of it. And maybe let's start there and uh, with the mental health. So for people who don't know um, that are familiar with the work that I've been doing, uh, so I break everything down to physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and, you know, everybody kind of gravitates toward one house first that they feel is probably the most impactful for them. And, and for you, it was the mental house. And, and one thing I know about you, Matt, your mind's very strong. So if you decide something's going to happen, that is exactly what is going to happen and that's a perfect mind to work with in that way because the mind really has a lot of power that I think our modern culture doesn't fully tap into. And the research now is really starting to back of what I'm saying. So what you actually think actually impacts your DNA in the way that it allows different expression of the DNA and different proteins to be expressed. So if you're thinking negative thoughts and you're pounding your brain and your body with negative thought, it, it affects your health of your DNA. And they've seen that with people who are depressed. Their DNA is not healthy. The telomere, which is the structure that allows the DNA to replicate, the longer it is, the healthier and less stressed your DNA overall is. And people who are depressed that are thinking a lot of negative thoughts have low serotonin. Those people have short telomere lengths. And if you give those people, um, if you if you put them on antidepressants, you find that their telomere length actually goes back up to a normal, uh, normal length. That's, that's one piece of evidence. But even in spite of that, having that ability to, to really train your mind to only think positive things is really difficult, as you know, um, in your own experience, it, you have to have a certain willpower behind your ability to think like that, because it's very easy in this world to go the other way, right? Yep, for sure. You know, the, as I try to talk about the houses of health with anybody that's willing to listen, and the one where I get probably the most questions behind is the mental to emotional side of it. Maybe could you expand upon what your perspective is on the differences? I've had people say, well, gosh, isn't that really in the same family, if you mm. will? And uh, I'd love your perspective on that. That's a that's an interesting point. Um, so the way I look at it, if you put in, if you kind of visualize right now, you have your body and you have your mind, and in between, in a way, you have your heart. You have the space in between, and emotion. If you want to use that word, emotion, the feeling space, emotion is really emotion. It's energy in motion. So what you think gets translated to your body a lot of times through that emotion, through that emotional space. So, for example, if you've witnessed something that makes you angry and you decide um, and you say, wow, that, you know, that really pisses me off and you decide, go, you know, but I can't feel that right now. I'm at work. I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm with my my uh, my wife or my my girlfriend. I can't, I can't I can't let that out or my kids are around. And and so you've thought something and you've interpreted something in the world that's come into your body and you've registered it as anger, but you don't let your body experience that feeling then it gets stuck in you. So in, in that way, you, you develop this, this backlog of emotion in your body. And there's, a, there's a, quite a bit of new research coming out in animals, but there's actually one in humans that came out last year that found that people with head and neck cancer 
people who actually reacted to their diagnosis when they got it with anger and, and, uh, you know, sadness. And those people actually do better than people who are like, Oh, I'm fine. No big deal. So what, what does that mean? Does that mean that you should be angry and punch holes in walls? Like, no, but if you have an experience where you're actually angry and you're pretending like you're not, and you're what I call a spiritual bypass, where you bypass over the emotion because you don't think it's right or you don't think it's healthy or you think other people will be hurt by it or you, you need to feel, you need to have everybody perceive you as a strong person, you know, then, then you're going you're gonna to suppress emotion in your body and you're going to have, have repercussions on that. And, you know, this study that I'm talking about, this head and neck cancer study, was the first study I've seen where they actually specifically looked at that exact question. And they found that, and statistically, that the people who expressed their emotion in that scenario, obviously a horrible, you know, having that diagnosis. And, and as you know, it's not something you want. But to, to let it be so that you don't have a reaction at all and pretend like everything's fine when it's not, that's the problem. You know... I don't know. I can't remember if I told you. I know I've told a number of people. I think I might have told you this. I, we connected for the first time uh, right around Christmas of 2018. And I just remember Mary and I even talked shortly after learning that cancer had reared its head again, that that particular Christmas was probably one of the most peaceful because I think so many things were brought back into perspective. And I know just through talking to you, really, I didn't really practice mindfulness prior to that. And mm. uh, I owe it to you and the work that you did to regularly practice it. Today, I don't uh, do anything without reading Jesus Calling. And that's just kind of how I start my day. Mm. And it's just been really helpful. But, you know, in 2018, that Christmas, we got through it and we're dealing with the fact that we have this what could be, you know, a devastating news, but two, three weeks back, we looked back on it and we said, you know, we had this beautiful Christmas. And that's when I just started thinking about like the cancer diagnosis doesn't have to be the death of me. It could mm -hmm. be what fuels me. And yeah. that's what over the last 18 months, I've found that it, it's given me different energy. Yeah. And I owe it a lot to you, but I'm just, you know, now we're, we've got a show around gratitude and I'm just curious from your perspective, if, you know, what sort of correlations there are to strong mental well-being and strong emotional well-being to just finding gratitude in, in the life we live. This is a great point because some people would, would think that having gratitude and being angry don't, don't fit together, you know? And they would think, well, you just told us that if you're angry, you need to go into it and you need to express it. And that now you're telling us you should have gratitude. Well, you know, your story is really amazing because, you know, really in your mind, it's really a choice. It's really a choice in that moment, how you're going to interpret something in your life. Now, you can't just, this is the thing, you can't just flip over into gratitude if you've never really practiced it before. It's like you're asking someone in that scenario getting a cancer diagnosis to lift a 50-pound weight when you've never lifted a 5-pound weight. It's a big thing to start with. So starting gratitude is super important in situations where you, you have not, you know, you've never tried it before. But I, I always tell people, you know, I call it five stars a day. At the end of the day, you just write down five things 
that you're grateful for and start there. When your day's not hard, when you don't have a bad day, it's quite easy to do it. But when you have a bad day, then it's a lot harder because it's a lot easier to go to the negative things. But they found that if you can practice gratitude and the more you practice it, the more you can realize it in your body, in your experience, in your, in your mind, in your, in your heart, you're going to feel happier inside. You're going to feel less stress. You're going to have this place where you can have a refuge inside of yourself. And it's, it's so important to have that. And it's pretty amazing that that was your experience in that, in that Christmas, because you're right. There are many people that are processing a lot of hurt and they're mourning a lot through the, the hearing and they have cancer. But and like in your case, this is something I've seen before. I had a patient once who got diagnosed with lung cancer and he said, you know, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I said, well, how is that? He said, you know, I didn't know how old my kids were because I was working so hard. I was trying to do all this stuff for what I thought was for the best of them, but I I didn't even know how old my kids were. I couldn't pin it down because I couldn't remember because I hadn't thought about it. And realizing that my life is going to one day be over, it really stopped me in my tracks and, and, and told me to really appreciate what's there. And now I wake up every day and I walk into this clinic and I get this treatment. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for everybody around me. And I think sometimes people just need to get that jolt, you know, and it's a powerful thing, though. Your, your testimony is really powerful in that way. Well, no, thank you. I appreciate that. And we're just having some fun with it. I, I want to move to the word disease. I, I've heard you talk before about that word. And if you break it down, it's correct me if I'm wrong, but it's dis-ease. Yeah. Yeah. Dis-ease. And, and maybe... Could you expand upon that? It, it, it hit home with me, and I'd like you to share a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, it sounds like wordplay, you know, when I said emotion, and now there's dis-ease. But actually, words have power. They have meaning, you know. And, and if you think of all illness as dis-ease, meaning you're not in ease, you're in stress, then it really is a powerful metaphor. But actually, it's true. You know, that's exactly what disease is. It's dis-ease. You've taken the natural state of the body, which is harmony, which is gratitude, which is this feeling of flow, and you've, you've made it really tense. You know, our culture is, is, you know, I saw this study, they said in 1985, they said, you know, with the advance of automation, people are going to be working 50% less. Everything's going to, you're going to have so much free time now because of all the things that get automated. And in fact, you look in 2020, the United States has the shortest amount of uh, vacation time in the entire entire industrialized world. You know, it's uh, just under two weeks, I think. And we've taken this ability, this amazing ability to automate and to have industrial revolution and, and I mean, a technological revolution, sorry. And we've taken, instead of turn it into a benefit, we've turned it into another crutch to occupy ourselves when we should be having ease. We're looking on Facebook, we're looking on Instagram, and we're comparing ourselves with other people and saying, you know, and that, and they found in the studies that that creates anxiety, that creates tension. And tension is really what's causing illness. It's that state in our bodies where tension, when you have muscle tension, you have a low flow state from, of blood. Oxygen is not coming in. It's not able to grab, uh, you know, uh, 
what I guess, you, you know, they call toxic, you have these metabolites in your body, it's not able to move things through in a in a in an orderly way. And so you get this buildup over time, you have this tension in your body, and it results in what, you know, if you look in the research, they call it allostatic load. It's the amount of stress load that goes on your system. And that that load keeps going higher and higher and higher and higher until your body breaks down. And then you have a disease, which is really just disease. And you look back in the chain, you've been loading your body with all this tension, lack of sleep, mental stress, negative thinking, uh, resentment, blocking of emotions, lack of gratitude. You put all those things together, and you've created a system that is not going to sustain itself. Right. You touched on earlier the fact that, you know, I happen to gravitate toward the mental side of it. That's what kind of, when, when you talk about the four houses of else, that's what I probably needed the most help on. Is there one area that you feel patients of yours struggle the most with, or is it kind of equal across the board? You know, every I take everybody where they come in. So sometimes people come in and I, I say, you know, you need to be eating uh, salad. And they're like, salad? Salad? <laughs> And if you're on salad, you're not getting into mental or emotional or spiritual aspects. I'm just trying to get you to give the body what it needs, you know. So there are a lot of people are just like that. And it is regional, you know, it depends where you're at. But a lot of times, you know, the the hardest thing to get people to do is to address the emotional side from what I've seen. And a spiritual thing is, you know, it's, it's uh, it's definitely a personal journey. Some people want to go there and some people don't don't want to go there, you know, and I never force anybody to go either to an emotional or spiritual or mental place or even a physical place. If you don't want to change, I have people coming in with, you know, lung cancer with cigarettes in their front pocket, you know, in their shirt. And I'll say, you know, I'm just going to say this once, you know, it would really help if you stopped. You know, and they say, well, I already have cancer. What's the point of stopping? Like, well, there's actually research showing that if you do stop now, your survival's better. So I always, I always pull out the research angle. Being a doctor, you know, I always pull out the angle of of saying, look, you know, I'm going to tell you once. And, and, you know, when you're wearing the white coat and you're in that room in that environment, there is a little bit more of an impact I've found. Well, you're practicing out in LA and I was, I was happy to, to hear that you kind of highlighted already the fact, the reason why you ended up there and that's the, the your acting interest. Before we jump into that, like how did you get interested in acting or what caused you to, to move in that direction? You want to, you want to tell, you want to know the real story? I do. All right. So, okay. So one time, one, one day I was, I was, uh, I was, I was actually going out a lot and actually partying a lot when I was in an internship. This is what kind of what you do, you know, work all day and then you then you go out and hang out with your friends. And um, I had been working all night and uh, I went out, I don't know what it was. Oh, I was trying to find my friends and I, I took my bike from the, uh, the hospital and I was riding around looking for, I, you know, I was pretty much lost riding around on my bike and I, and I hit a curb and I fell off the curb. I fell off my bike onto the sidewalk and I looked up and I was in front of this place on Walnut Street called Walnut Street Theater. And I said, I said, you know, this is, this is why I'm not happy. I need to be famous. This is the thing. This is going to make me happy. You know, I'm going to take this acting class here. I'm going to sign up tomorrow. And I, and I don't know what, what maybe I'm falling off the bike or not getting any sleep, you know. So I went to that, uh, that acting class and the acting coach there he had me do a monologue and he said to me, he goes, you know, what do you do during the day? I said, well, I'm a doctor. And he said, I think you should stick to that. 
<laughs> and that that's kind of the that's a wrong thing to say to me, you know. And I was like, oh, okay, is that is that how it is? Okay, I'll be back here. And it might have been his sales tactic, but I came back and I really worked really hard at it. And I was like, oh, you know, in order to actually to actually be real, I have to feel something. And I couldn't feel anything. The only thing I could really feel was sadness. And anytime I had to be angry or had to be happy, I just would start tearing up and crying. I had all this hurt inside of me. And I realized that the only time I really felt good in that time of my life was when I was acting because I was emoting. I was getting this stuff out of me that was kind of buried. In a lot of ways, acting was my first therapy. I'll tell you what, that's beautiful. And thanks for the real answer there. <laughs> you know, I, I met you first because of your medical or your uh, radiation oncology background and quickly learned that you had this acting um, career as well. And I was so excited to have the opportunity to meet you in New York City when you were performing Brothers Paranormal. Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect, but I was traveling with my boss and I had told my boss how I met you and that you wrote this book, Healing Before You're Cured. And he's like, where are we going tonight? And <laughs> what's he doing? Is he, he's acting? And I said, yeah, he's, he's an actor too. I thought you said he's an he's a oncologist. Well, he is that. And Roy, we went there that night. And my boss, Rob, does go to a lot of plays. He's been all over the country, Broadway shows. And he was blown away. That He did a remarkable, remarkable job. So you came, you've come a long way from the time that you walked into that first <laughs> acting class. I was like, where is the story going? No, yeah, thank you. No, you know, that's the thing. I, I think I see it in you too is um, it's like when you, when you love something and you decide that this is what you're going to do, you just do it, you know? And so that was something I always, I always wanted. I was like, well, I'm going to do something. I'm going to be good at it. You know, I want to feel and I want to, I want to do that well. So, well, I remember the other thing is, you know, when we were, we would talk early on and we'd talk about my professional career and I, I love my professional career. I'm in the investment business, but that's not the only thing I'm doing. And and that's, you know, your work as a, as an actor kind of helped me fuel uh, the direction that I'm going in with, with gratitude, Matt, it started with the blog that I started about a year ago and that's the blog gratitude, Matt. And now the show, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. So uh, I think you've been a big influence in that aspect as well. So, you know, as I, you know, and you think about the four houses of health, Roy, what have you learned or what area have you learned the most from your patients? Any particular piece of that that you've kind of helped you reinforce the importance of the, all four of those houses? Yeah, I, you know, it, kind of, it harkens a little bit back to what you said and how you handle your diagnosis. When I see people walking in that are taking a, they're walking in smiling at their lives. And I know they don't have, you know, they're not going to, they have a limit, there's a limit on that life, you know, as there is on everybody else. But they truly live in that moment. And any, anytime I see that, it kind of, it stops me in my tracks because I'm usually processing some fairly minor uh, incident in my own head where I'm resentful or I'm angry about how I was treated or I, someone didn't think about me, you know, anything like that. Immediately when I see someone with that, uh, with a diagnosis that that is going to be the reason they're going to leave the planet and they're able to smile and laugh and enjoy the moment, even being in the basement of a cancer center, 
if they can do that, then I can also say to myself, I say, you know what, this stuff that you're worrying about, or you're upset about, or you've decided to be upset over, you got to let it go. And think about the positive things and really focus on that. And it's not even almost a thought. When I see someone like that, I just like, okay, that's done. I'm not even going to. And it usually it's because, you know, I'm holding on to it. And I think that's what most of us do. We hold on to things. Right. You know, one other thing that came to mind before I have one final question that I want to ask you. But as, I, as we sit here in pandemic, Roy, is there anything that you've learned kind of reinforcing the four houses of health as we sit through pandemic or witnessed how people are responding to? Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot. I, I, I have learned that uh, science is under some uh, under attack right now, really. There is, uh, you know, there's there's news and there's science and the role of the expert has been minimized in our culture. It's more about what we we as Americans feel like we want to do. And it's at the exclusion of other people. And I, I've really seen that a lot. And I'm trying to combat that by doing as many, you know, informational and and um, things like this, you know, podcasts, trying to do my own part to really show people that, you know, science matters. We've we've I've trained a long time to know things. And and unfortunately for a lot of people, I I do know more than you. You know, I do know more than you in this area. I've studied for 26 years in this particular area. And so I think in our, in our culture right now, I'm, I'm very surprised and somewhat not surprised that, that there's a lack of respect for people who, who know more. And, and there are people who know more than me, like Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, he knows way more than me, you know? And so when he says something about science and I don't, I don't like, well, I don't know if I agree. I still listen to him because he knows more than me. You know, there, we've lost this uh, respect for people. And it doesn't mean that Dr. Fauci is a better person than you or I or, or anything like that. It's just that he knows more. <laughs> He's, this is his life, you know. And I think there's a lack of understanding that, that or, or uh, maybe a willful, purposeful lack of understanding because it conflicts with what we want to do. And when we want to do conflicts with what we should do, then you have a moral issue on your hands. And if you're not able to look at things from that perspective, from a spiritual moral perspective, you're going to choose the wrong way. You know, that's something I've, something I've seen. Absolutely. Interesting. Well, Roy, the, the one, I'm going to have one final question that I'm going to ask each one of my guests. And it's kind of a deep one. So you may have to think about it for a minute, but as you think about your life and everything that you've experienced, is there one particular thing that either took place in your life or happened to you that at the time was very devastating, but as time passed, you were able to kind of grow from that and learn that it really was a blessing that that took place. And today you're grateful that you went through that period. Is there mm. anything that comes to mind? And if so, maybe talk a little bit about it. Yeah, you know, this is kind of a, this is a deep question because most of the things I, I always interpret things as, as being good for me. I've, I've had, and I've wondered why that, that is. And I was thinking about it. And, you know, my parents both lost their parents when they were very young. My dad was, uh, lost his parents on his birthday when he was four. And my mom lost her dad, uh, 
he was murdered when she was 11 uh, in front of their house. So in, in, in Thai culture, though, you don't, you don't do anything with that. You just, you just go on. So when I grew up in my, that, that's, so now we're talking about generational trauma. We're talking about, you know, this house I grew up, but that hadn't dealt with any kind of this loss, you know? So I was living in a house where we had everything on the outside, but on the inside, my parents hadn't, hadn't dealt with any of that, you know? And growing up as a child in that house, when the parents, when they were children, didn't get taken care of in the right way, then emotionally, I also was impacted by that as well. And I always wondered, you know, because in, in church and stuff, they always tell you, oh, you know, the, the home is the place of your, your refuge. And, and, and then for me, like emotionally, that wasn't really the case. Um, I was given tremendous discipline tremendous work ethic and tremendous self-sufficiency and for a lot of years I was resentful of that you know but now I look at it and I go hey you know I look at it both ways I said you know I needed to go through that I you know and I I have this ability now to like not it's very very hard to phase me you know it's very hard now in my life to you to I shouldn't say that because I'm sure now something's going to be sent to me where I can't handle it. But but I generally, you know, generally I feel like I have a lot of bandwidth inside of me to to, to interpret things and and make them a positive experience for myself. Um, in a, in a real way though, not not for other people, you know. And and that's because to survive a lot of times our own upbringing. It, it takes that ability and some people are more successful at it than others. And because of that way I was raised with a lot of the discipline and, and not much of the heart, it, it allowed me to persevere through very difficult circumstances. So I'm very grateful for that. That is so beautiful, Roy. And I, I again, I want to thank you for being part of today's show. I, I know that our listeners today are going to be drawn to how you've broken down the four houses of health. And I, I'd ask for anybody that uh, finds these interesting. I know you can find Roy's book, Healing Before You're Cured, on Amazon. If you want, you can have it on your doorstep tomorrow morning. So please go out there if you found any of this interesting. I know uh, it might not be cancer. It could be any other adversity that you might be faced with. And even if you think that you're really strong in those four houses, that's the spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional house. If you feel that you're really strong, I would suggest that you might be able to learn a little bit more about each one of those, and, and it might strengthen you to be even more powerful. So please go out to Amazon and pick it up. Um, Roy, I can't thank you enough. I, I told everybody on the on the front end, I don't think anything happens by chance. I look at what happened to you and I by us connecting back in December of 2018. I look at that as like a little God wink, him looking down on us and kind of saying, hey, you know what, Matt, this is going to be all right. And the journey that I'm on, I, I know I am going to be all right because uh, I'm in good hands. So uh, audience, um, as we wrap up, I uh, think there's three things that I did really encourage each of you to think about and, and do each and every day. And we've touched on gratitude today, and I, I'd start there. I, I think it's really important that you find gratitude regardless of how dark the day is. Second, I think it's really important to be present. Uh, it would have been really easy for me to say, Roy, back in 2018, that I'm in good hands, I'm in good shape, but I was presented the opportunity to connect with you and it opened my eyes up to a different side that I really wasn't 
that strong in. And, and, and I would say just be present to those that are in front of you or opportunities that are presented to you. You never know what's on the back end of that. So be present. And, and the last part is make sure you're paying attention to how you're feeding your mind, body, and soul. What goes into will come out. Today's guest was my good friend, Dr. Roy Von Tama. Remember to subscribe to the show, share it with others, and comment on it if you enjoyed today's show. Until next time with Gratitude Matt listeners, find the courage to be grateful at Godspeed. Thank you.